Winning TLC. Hey, my name's Torn. I get to be one of the pastors here. Uh, and I love my job. feel like I won the lottery. So thanks for uh, hanging with us today. We are in our third week of our Rookies, Vets, and Free Agents series on marriage, singleness, and relationships. And today we are talking about free agents, advice for the Notlyweds. I was uh, going to come out here and uh, do the dance to all the single ladies, but I couldn't get the leotard on, so I'm going to have to go right into the message. You're welcome. Uh, this is a definition of singleness from a couple of dictionaries. Single, not married, unaccompanied, soul, only one, individual, not part of a pair or group, alone. Is that really encouraging, right, singles? Like, you feel like all the warm fuzzies right now, don't you? I, I get it. Look, uh, that's pretty harsh sounding, right? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a pretty harsh definition of singleness. And singleness in our society is often connected to what a person isn't. Synonyms for singleness are unattached, unmarried, Unwed, being single is being unsomething in the US. And it's interesting because we would never use those same terms for people who are married, right? You never walk up to a married person and uh, ask them their status, like, oh, I'm, I'm unsingle right now, right? Nobody says, I'm unsingle. We will often talk about people who are single as being in kind of a season of singleness, but nobody's like, well, I'm actually currently in a season of marriedness right now. Like, nobody talks like that. They're, we just, just for folks that are single, and I'm not a huge fan of the term single, but I don't know that I have uh, a way better one. We tried to come up with a better one. That's why we said free agents. Free agents in baseball vernacular is, uh, basically means that a free agent is not bound to any particular team at the time, and therefore they can kind of choose which team they want to join that's willing to take them. Now, if we're going to keep it real here this morning, not every team wants you. At least not for the price you're actually worth. Uh, I actually think that there's four teams right now that are vying for your attention, single folks. Uh, the first team is Team World. The world is vying for you to try to sign with them. And they're promising you the moon, but all you'll actually get is a black hole of emptiness. There is another team that is vying for you. It's Team Jesus. And Jesus promises you the moon as well, but gives you the heavens also. Ooh, see what I did there? That was good, right? Come on, work with me, people. You got to work with me today. Uh, the third team that is vying uh, for you to sign with them is uh, team potential marriage partners, okay? So depending upon which team the potential mate is playing for, right? Let's say that you're playing for God's team, all right? Which would be the Chicago Cubs. And, uh, and maybe, uh, you know, your, your uh, potential mate is playing for uh, the devil's team, right? Like the New York Mets or the St. Louis Cardinals or the LA Dodgers. I mean, there's a whole host of possibilities here, all right? Uh, the truth is, is if they're not playing for the same team as you, then I promise you they will never fully 
understand your worth. And then there's one last team that is vying for you to sign with them, and that's our church, TLC. Uh, If you're a free agent, uh, I want you to know that our church really wants you to be a part of this team. Uh, In fact, I don't actually like the word team anymore as a descriptor. Uh, Our church isn't interested in you being on our team. Our church is interested in you being a part of our family. Uh, You have needed gifts, abilities, talents, passions, leadership that our church needs. God has not put you on hold. You are not second best. God has purposes and plans for you that this church absolutely 100% needs. And so I, I hope, it is my prayer and my desire, that you will see this family as a family that you can engage with and really come and be a part of what God's up to. So uh, those are kind of the four teams that I think are vying for you to sign with. Now, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, basically four things this morning, okay? I'd like to start off by kind of discussing why I think that being single, especially in the Western church today, is hard and getting harder. For us to do that, we need to spend some time looking at what's going on, not only in kind of Western American church culture, but also what's going on in Western American culture at large. And so we're going to spend some time doing that. And then I want to answer three questions. The first question is, should you get married? The next question is, what should you be pursuing? And the last question, who should you be pursuing? So let's start by naming the reasons that it's hard to be single in our culture especially our Western American church culture, okay? Marriage, for our Western American church culture, has become this idolized sense of salvation for many people. Like, if I finally get married, I will have finally arrived. That's what's going to bring me fulfillment and joy. That's when I'm going to feel whole. That's when I'm actually going to be a part of the church. Marriage. We have actually idolized marriage to a place that I don't think is beneficial for our souls, and I don't believe it's actually scriptural. We'll get to that in a minute. A couple of years ago, uh, a well-known pastor, I'm not going to share his name because I'm about to disagree with him vehemently, said this. This is an actual quote. He says, let me tell you the most devastating attack on marriage is coming from singleness. Singleness is an assault on marriage. Marriage is the grace of life. This escalating self-preoccupation, personal ambition, personal development that creates a kind of terminal singleness is devastating on obviously the family. I just see singleness as a disaster. You feeling good right now, singles? (laughs) Now, now, let me be very clear. This is not good teaching, okay? This is not only bad exegesis, it's Actually, heresy. Can you imagine Jesus sitting in that congregation hearing that sermon? Dude just said Jesus was an unmitigated disaster. I don't think you actually want to say that, okay? Now, if he intended to mean radical individualism is hurting marriage and that's a disaster, I would agree. But he was actually talking about singleness. Uh, Not only that, uh, I only shared with you um, not even the worst things that were said. And that's often kind of the view that we get in churches. That like marriage is the thing you're really going for and you're a full-fledged member when you're actually married, when you're finally married. But that's actually not 
what I believe scripture teaches. Now, in society, but especially within the church, we often view singleness as something to escape. All right? Kind of like you got the flu. All right? And people are like, oh, honey, it's okay. Like, just drink lots of fluids, get a good night's rest, and when you wake up, take a bumble and everything will be good. Some of you are like, what's a bumble? It's a dating app, okay? That's what a bumble is. Now, I want to be really clear here at TLC. We are not anti-marriage. We are very pro-marriage, okay? That's why we've spent two weeks prior to this talking about it. But we're also not anti-single either. We're very pro-single. Why, you might ask? Well, because the Bible, especially the New Testament, is incredibly pro-single. Uh, Dave Lomas is a pastor in San Francisco, and uh, I want to uh, read something to you that he said that I thought was really, really helpful as we kind of transition, not just into the Western Christian church ideal or culture that we find ourselves living in, but also the American Western culture at large that we find ourselves in. He says this, we are socially programmed to act and react in certain ways when it comes to marriage, singleness, and sexuality. Look, we all live in a culture, and it's affecting us all the time. We don't even recognize it because it's what we swim in. It's kind of like saying to a fish, do you enjoy the water? They're like, what are you talking about, right? Because it's all around them. We, in the same way, live in a culture that is telling us all kinds of things, and so we kind of get socially programmed to act and react in certain ways when it comes to this topic. Now, uh, Today, we live in this culture, and it's kind of dominated with regards to marriage, singleness, and sexuality by two major concepts, uh, romanticism and individualism. Let me start with romanticism, okay? Defining features of romanticism, and if you're a single, I think that you will totally get this. Quite honestly, I think all of us do. We think that the highest good of life is to be romantically fulfilled. We can't imagine a life without a romantic partner for ourselves or anyone else. We can't imagine someone living without romantic hope. Like how is it possible to live if you don't have the potential of having romantic love with another person that you can enjoy the rest of your life? Look, this is being sold to us in every movie that we watch, it's being sold to us uh, in every television show that we binge watch. I mean, they sell everything with this concept, right? They sell cars, they sell dog treats. I mean, you name it, it's being sold with this idea of romantic love. The assumption is that you cannot live a full and complete life without romantic love. And even if you could, it's cruel to think that anybody might. Uh, I think for us as Americans, uh, The Notebook is not just a romantic movie. The Notebook is a human right. Life Liberty and the pursuit of anything Nicholas Sparks writes. Like that's kind of what we're about. That is the romantic culture that we find ourselves living in that raises the romantic ideal and romantic relationship up to a level where it becomes the highest good. Now, our romantic culture is steeped in an individualistic culture that says happiness is the highest value. So romanticism is the highest good and happiness in individualism is the highest value. Whatever feels right, as long as it doesn't harm someone, is fine. Actually, more than fine, it's your truth. And what is our truth? Romantic fulfillment, of course. Therefore, you're not actually being true to yourself. You're not being authentic 
unless you do whatever it is that you feel like, right? Whatever's going to bring you happiness. Of course, as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. That's what our society is telling us. It's telling us that with the music that we listen to. It's telling us that with the media that we consume. Your happiness is above all. And so what happens when we find the church with kind of an idolization of marriage and we find society with the idolization of romance and individualism, we kind of get the salvation narrative that many of us have kind of come to believe. And it goes something like this. Uh, the church says that marriage is how you experience the full and complete life, right? So pursue marriage. That's where you're going to find it, that Western American Christian church culture. And then the church and culture at large say together, yeah, but not only getting married, but getting married by falling romantically in love with somebody that you choose and who chooses you back and ideally is willing to go to church with you. And then culture will then jump in and say, yeah, but they're having a genuine and growing relationship with Christ is secondary to whether they fulfill you romantically. And the only way to know if you're truly romantically compatible is you need to test a few things out first. So you should probably sleep together a few times. See if the sex is good. Are you sexually compatible? And then you should probably take, take some trips together to see if, if you vacation well together. And, and then if that goes well, you should probably move in together and live together. And then you can see if you're truly compatible and whether it's actually fun to wake up with their morning breath. And if that's all going well, then you should probably get married. And if you get married, the American Christian church will celebrate your union. You've arrived. This is, I think, the salvation narrative that many of us in Western American Christian church culture have kind of come to believe, even when we don't realize that we have. But it is not what God's desire is for us. Now, if this doesn't seem depressing enough, let me add another layer to this conversation on singleness. Uh, for singles, especially those who are truly trying to pursue Christ with their whole heart and life, it's really, really tough today. And one of the reasons is because from the inception of the church some 2,000 years ago, the scriptural mandate that singles have been called to celibacy. Celibacy teaches that to be unmarried is not to engage in sexual activity. Therefore, single, unmarried folks in the church equals no sex. Now, in our culture, living a celibate life is absurd. Name me one movie that has as its hero character a celibate, happy person. Name me one TV show that has a character that is seen in a good light that is practicing celibacy. It's not just absurd in our culture that if you're single, you'd be celibate. Our culture actually believes that it's cruel. Like it's unjust. It's immoral. Now, I simply am saying all of this because I feel like I have to set up an understanding for all of us of kind of the culture that we live in, right? We swim in this culture, man. I do too. I was studying and reading all the bunch of different stuff this, this past week, and, and I was like, ooh, man, I, I, I did kind of buy into that, and I did kind of buy into that, and is that actually scriptural? And 
I see how I get swayed in this way and in that way. And look, I'm not just saying this like you guys. I'm saying like us guys, all of us. We all find ourselves in this. And I haven't even talked about the purity culture that has been a part of kind of Western Christian American culture. Not that uh, Jesus is anti-purity. He's very much for purity. But purity, especially in youth groups, because I was a youth pastor for a long time, was often used as kind of a way to, to shame. And, 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 and we didn't talk a whole lot about sex very often in a good light. It was usually something to avoid. And we saw it as negative and even kind of dirty and, and shameful. And that's certainly not at all how Scripture describes it. But that's some of the cultural milieu that we find ourselves in. Look, being in the church and being single, it's hard. It's hard, and it's complex, and at times it can feel overwhelming. And this is exactly why I need those of us that are married to be a part of this service today. It's not like you get to tune out because, oh, this is just for single folks. Just like I told single folks the last two weeks, hey, don't tune out just because you're not married. Listen, we need you to know the complexities of married life and the biblical expectations so that you can help us live up to that. We need that. But we also need married people to understand the complexities and the difficulties of what it means to live the single life in our churches and society today because we need to come alongside and encourage them and walk with them. That's what family does. Family loves family. So uh, this past week I asked... uh, any of my single friends on Facebook and IG to share some things that they wish the church would say or some things that they want to say to the church. And so uh, if you were walking in, maybe when you were getting your coffee or when you were sitting down, you may have seen some of those things scrolling through uh, on our announcements up on the screen. There's some great stuff. Some of it's hilarious. Some of it's cringeworthy sad, uh, but it's, it's wonderful. There was one thing in particular, though, uh, one comment that I was like, oh, man, I, I have to share this. So I, I, uh, I got Kelly's permission to share this. She, she goes to church here, uh, and she said this uh, on Facebook. She said, weird fact, many single people need physical touch. Hug us. If we live alone, we can go many days without human contact which is hard to imagine for people with clingy kids or affectionate spouses. Some of us actually pay money for massages, a.k.a. healthy physical contact. There was another single person who then wrote to her, Oh my goodness, absolutely true. I tell my friends this all the time. And so uh, I asked Kelly uh, if I could share her reply post to this. It's, It's amazing. Look at this. This is what Kelly wrote. Celia, real talk. I once sat next to a drunk homeless man on public transit. He fell asleep with his head leaned on my shoulder, and I didn't move because I needed it too. (laughs) Friends, that's real life right there, okay? (laughs) Now, some of you are like thinking that your new spiritual gift is hugging single people. It is not, okay? I'm just telling you, like, all right, you will experience church discipline if that is something you... (laughs) kidding. (laughs) Look, church, we need a robust biblical understanding of the challenges and beauty of singleness. And guess what? I can't give that to you in one morning. (laughs) But I can begin to start a conversation that will help us understand God's heart for each and every one of us. Why singleness is actually a gift and what God intends to do with it. So, 
I want to start by answering those three questions to start the conversation. And the first question was, should you get married at all? Should you get married at all? If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We've got some folks that would love to come and hand you a Bible that you can follow along. Um, I think we've got some folks. We've got some folks that'll do that. Uh, And so just uh, raise your hand. They'll make sure to get your Bible. You can follow. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, the, the book of, or the letter uh, to the church in Corinth, uh, Paul wrote at least two letters. We have those two in our Bibles, First and Second Corinthians. Um, we think Paul probably also had other communication with them. And what Paul's about to do here is answer some questions that they had asked him. Now, Corinth was a city uh, not entirely unlike Grand Rapids, okay? Uh, 20 years ago, Grand Rapids would not be considered a progressive city. All right, um, but today Grand Rapids is actually fairly progressive, uh, and what we're about Corinth was super progressive. Uh, Grand Rapids uh, has a lot of similarities um, to to Corinth, uh, and, and so Paul is writing this letter, answering some of their questions, and he's going to talk about this idea of singleness. So they had obviously asked a question about it, and Paul's answering. Chapter seven, verse one. It says, "Now for the matters you wrote about." In other words, I'm answering your questions. And then he says, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Paul starts off by answering the question. He's like, it's good for you not to have sex. And what he's saying is not like, hey, just don't have sex, okay? What he's saying is that it's good to be single. It's good to be single. Keep reading. Now he's going to say some things to married folks. He says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Uh, At this time, it was fairly common uh, for a a Corinthian man to have a wife that he would then want to have kids with because uh, for status reasons and to, to carry on the name, but he might also have a mistress because he liked her body better and wanted to have sex with her. And if he didn't have that, then he would probably go to the brothels. That was a fairly common uh, occurrence and really well accepted within Corinthian culture. And so what Paul says is, it'd be great if you could be single, but since many of you can't handle that, you should be married. And if you're married, you should have sex with your wife. Go on. Uh, Or your husband. He says, verse 4, the wife does not have authority or excuse me, verse 3, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband, which the Corinthians would have been like, well, duh, Paul, everybody knows this. Like, we hear that, a husband has authority over his wife's body? Oh my goodness, how backwards is this? Back then, they'd have been like, duh, that late, like, you don't even need to tell us. Now look what he says next. Uh, in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife, which to the Corinthians would have been like, how dare he? How can he even say such a thing? Uh, You'll notice all throughout chapter 7, Paul is saying the same things to wives as he then says to husbands and then to wives and then to husbands, uh, very purposefully so, very purposefully so. This was shocking at this time. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent, and for a time. In other words, you should have sex, and you should have sex often. The only time you shouldn't be having sex is when you decide as a married couple to then separate for a time for prayer, to seek God's face on something, and then he says, then come together again 
In other words, then when you're done with that, have sex again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Look at verse 6. You're like, man, why is Torrin telling us? I don't need, I'm a single. Don't be telling me about husbands and wives and getting together and doing the thing. And Verse 6. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. No one has this gift. Uh, excuse me. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So in verses 1 through the beginning of chapter 6, Paul basically says that he wishes everybody had the gift of singleness. And he says sex is not mandatory for living the good life, the fulfilled life, the complete life. Now, that goes very much against the culture that we find ourselves living in. It went very much against their culture in that day as well. But it's really important that we understand what Paul is saying. Uh, there was a uh, game show in the 80s um, called Press Your Luck. I loved this game show. It was only on for a few seasons. It was awesome. I just found out they rebooted it. Uh, this past June, and it is, it's going to have another season this coming summer. <laughs> so excited. All right, so this is what the game show is it's called Press Your Luck. You have three contestants, the host. The host asks, asks a question, a trivia question. If you buzz in and you get it right, you get to spin the board. Now, uh, you'll see a little gif up there of uh, what the board actually, actually looks like. Okay, and uh, it's basically numbers and whammies. Okay, you don't want to get a whammy. You do want to land on the number. So what they say every time is big bucks, big bucks, no whammies. Big bucks, big bucks, no whammies. Stop. And you hope that it lands on money, but invariably it lands on a whammy. And it goes, wah, wah, wah. And it like, that's how the whammy sound, all right? It's amazing. It's awesome. Like, no whammies. Everybody used to yell it at the TV screen. Big bucks, big bucks, no whammies. I think that this is exactly the prayer that singles pray when they hear the four dreaded words, the gift of singleness. Everybody's free, like, oh, no, Lord, please, don't let me have the gift of singleness. Like, you're, you're trying to talk to your other single friends, like, yo, I don't think I got it. I don't think, like, I don't, I don't have the gift of singleness, man. Like, I know, like, your prayer is big bucks, big bucks, no singleness. Like, that's what you're wanting. And then, and then you're like, wah, 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 you got singleness, the worst gift ever. That, that's how we often treat it. Uh, in the end of verse 6, Paul says, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, one has that. This is where we get the idea, the concept of the gift of singleness. What Paul is saying is that if you're single, you have the gift. And if you're married, you have the gift of marriedness. They're not gifts as much as they're states. If you're single, that's your gift. Because being single affords you all kinds of wonderful things. And if you're married, that's your gift. Being married affords you all kinds of wonderful things. They're both gifts, and it's not like you've been given the gift of singleness, and that means that for the rest of your life, you will never, ever be in relationship with somebody. It just means that right now, that's who you are, what you have. And Paul wants us to understand that it's a gift. Paul wants us to understand 
that it actually is something that can be valued and valuable. Verse 8 and 9. Paul basically says, if you're burning with passion and you have the option to get married, go for it. Kudos, way to go, good for you. But if you're able, you should stay single. So if we're going to answer the question, should you get married? Paul's answer is, not if you can help it. Like, whoa, are you serious? That's in the Bible? Yeah, it is. Now, most of you can't help it. (laughs) That's okay. It's not a problem. All right? Marriage is a great thing. God is not anti-marriage. It was his idea. He's all about it. We've been reading about that. We've been talking about that. But it is interesting that Paul says it's actually better not to be married. I wish that all of you were like I am. Why? Why does Paul say this? Well, let's keep reading. Jump down to verse 32. Paul says, I would like you to be free from concern. This is why. Married people, do not nudge your spouse right now. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Undivided devotion to the Lord. The reason that you have the gift of singleness right now is so you can be about the Lord's affairs. So that you can live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. That's why you've been given the gift of singleness. Married people don't have that luxury. Married people have to be about the affairs of this world and how they can then serve and love their spouses and take care of their children. If you are single, it is a gift if you will view it as such and pursue God with an undivided heart. Uh, Have you ever heard any singles described this way? Like two dudes talking? Yo, man, is she seeing anybody? Dude's like, nah, brah, she's about the Lord's affairs. (laughs) (laughs) You ain't never had that conversation before? (laughs) Right? Two girls like, oh my goodness, is he attached to anybody right now? No, girl. He is undivided for the Lord. Like we don't have, but friends, could someone say that of you? Single folks, could someone say that of you? Now, I want to I ask uh, this question. Where, where in the world did Paul get this passion for singleness from? Uh, is this just kind of like his idea? Did, did he hear it from anywhere? Because it does kind of seem to fly in the face of everything that we would have assumed, right? When you go back to Genesis, Jesus quotes, you know, it, what happened in Genesis that, God made male and female, and this is why a a man shall leave his husband and wife and be united to her. They will become, (laughs) leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That, like, seems like there's a lot of talk about marriage in the Old Testament. 
How is Paul now saying that, hey, it's better to be single? Well, uh, Paul gets it from Jesus himself. Flip back with me to Matthew 19. We talked about Matthew 19 last week. Friends, can I just tell you, I wish this series were like 20 weeks long. All right, because I got so much stuff that I'm learning that I can't even talk to you about. I can't even like give you a little morsel. Uh, I wish we could talk more about it. But um, this text, I'm going to teach out of this text two weeks in a row, and I'm still not even touching some of the main stuff in the text. But we're going we're gonna to get what we can get today, starting in verse 10 of chapter 19. Uh, Jesus has just been talking about marriage and divorce. All right. He lays out a pretty hard teaching on marriage. And so the disciples, verse 10, said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Now look at what Jesus says. Look at how he replies to them. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. In other words, he's saying to their, to their statement that it's better not to get married. He's saying, yeah, you're right. It is better. But most people can't accept this word, only those that, are, that have been given to them. Verse 12, for there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Now, there's a couple things going on here, because we don't talk about eunuchs very much in our society, okay? Uh, a eunuch, we about to get real, uh, is a, uh, a man who's had his testicles removed or crushed or squeezed. There's literally three different words in the Greek for a eunuch. I don't even know what the difference between crushed and squeezed is. I don't want to know. <laughs> what it meant, though, uh, is that a eunuch was not able to have children. Those are the ones who were made eunuchs. It often happened uh, to slaves. Uh, sometimes it was done for terrible reasons. Uh, boys were emasculated so that they would stay uh, more effeminate and would be uh, abused. Um, sometimes they were, uh, it was done so that uh, the person uh, who had become a eunuch would then watch over uh, some of the female members of the household and they didn't have to worry about any hanky-panky uh, happening. Um, but Jesus also is aware of the fact that some people are born as eunuchs. Um, we would say intersex. Uh, today, people that uh, didn't have uh, fully developed uh, sexual organs or maybe uh, expressed both sexual organs. Um, we sometimes would say a hermaphrodite uh, today. Uh, there's other Kleinfelter syndrome. There's some other things uh, as well out there. Um, Jesus was aware. And what Jesus is talking about by mentioning eunuchs, because he says some are born that way, some are made that way, and some choose. So that doesn't mean that they, like, physically then were. Uh, emasculated, uh, what it means is they choose a celibate lifestyle. Uh, what Jesus is referring to is the fact that a blessing in the Old Testament always came through the fulfillment of the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate uh, was what God gave to Adam and Eve when he came to them and said, I want you to uh, subdue the world and fill it. Okay? So he was talking about taking the world someplace and having lots of babies to uh, uh, propagate uh, the human race. And that was the cultural mandate. And so uh, you literally couldn't own land if you were impotent. Uh, you actually uh, had to tie whatever future you thought you might have to the person that you were serving if you were a eunuch. We know about the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts. Uh, he actually was over the treasury of the queen of the Candake. 
That's why he was in that position as a eunuch. And so what Jesus is saying is that uh, while in the Old Testament, blessing, land, uh, your name was carried on through the family, right? Being married and having children. Now Jesus says something different. He says, actually, uh, some are born eunuchs, some are made eunuchs, and some choose to be celibate, to not marry, to not carry on the name for the sake of the kingdom of God. Of heaven. What's happening here is Jesus has now replaced the cultural mandate, uh, not replaced it. He has just made something that is more important than it when he gave us the Great Commission. You see, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said, Go into all the world and make disciples, which are spiritual children. And Jesus says that the making of disciples is actually a higher value than even the making of children. Now, Jesus is not anti-children. Very far from it. Marriage is God's idea. He blesses it. He loves it. Children are a gift from the Lord. But the reason that he can say some choose singleness for the sake of the kingdom, those that are able to ought to, but most of you can't, is because the making of spiritual children by making disciples has actually now become the higher value. The cultural mandate is not repeated in the New Testament but the Great Commission is instead. Um, my sister is actually a really great example of this. Uh, my sister is in her 40s. She's never been married. Uh, she has always wanted to be married and still has that longing today. When she got out of college, uh, she had a nursing degree. And uh, she had a, a choice. Um, She could have waited around hoping that God was going to bring her uh, a spouse so that she could like start her life. Or she could trust that God actually had a purpose and a plan and a calling on her as long as she had the gift of singleness. And she decided to trust that God was actually good. And so instead of staying in the States and waiting, hoping that she would find a husband, she said, God, I'm going to follow you wherever you call me. And so God called her to help start an orphanage in South Africa. And so she moved over to South Africa. She never found a husband while she was there. But she did find a little girl named Lorato who didn't have a mom and a dad. And my sister would be the first one to tell you, in an ideal world, kids will be raised by a mother and a father, but we don't live in an ideal world. And so growing up in an orphanage versus growing up in a single-parent household with a mom that loved Jesus and loved this little girl was way better. And so my sister adopted Lorato. And my sister lived there and loved on kids and did everything she could to see the kingdom of God move forward, loving and raising her daughter for eight years and wound up moving back to the States. Uh, My sister then began to... Instead of waiting to see if God might now finally give her a husband and put her life on hold, said, no, I'm going to continue to fulfill the calling that God's placed in my life and began to foster kids with special needs. And she's fostered dozens of children with special needs and now has over, I think, it's like a dozen or close to a dozen kids that she has fostered and then helped families in her church step up and adopt. Not only that, but my sister has also adopted two other girls that have special needs. She's a single mother of three. Why? Because she didn't buy into the Western cultural 
lie that says marriage is the end-all, be-all, and that you really are just waiting until you get there to actually do something. She actually believed that what God said, that he had a calling on her life and that the making of spiritual children was actually more important, that she said, I'm going to give myself as a single person undivided to God, undivided to the Lord's affairs. That was the gift God had given her, and so she ran hard after that. Would she like to be married? Absolutely, to this day. And I, as her brother, hope that maybe someday that will be fulfilled by God, but she's not waiting around for it. And Friends, you shouldn't either. God has things that he has called you to do, needs you to do, wants you to do, adventures that he wants to call you into. You are not less than whole because you don't have a spouse. You are absolutely everything that you need to be. Trust me, when my sister gets to heaven, God is not going to let her down. I guarantee her reward's going to be way better than mine. I'm glad she's my sister because I know she's going to have the penthouse suite and I get to go hang out at my sister's house. Like, that's going to be good stuff. (laughs) Singleness is not second best. Let me say that again. Singleness is not second best. Now, uh, I'm going to answer the last two questions really quickly. The first, or the second one that I said I would answer was, um, what should you be pursuing? Jesus answers this really, really easily in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says this, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you. What should you be pursuing? The kingdom of God. Single folks, seek first the kingdom of God. Stop worrying about whether you are in a relationship with this person or that person or is this going to happen or if I move, is, is that going to ruin my chances of getting married because I'm not going to know people and, and maybe I won't actually have community and I'm not going to meet the folks that I already know here. Stop worrying. Jesus is like, yo, God loves you way more than he loves birds and he always makes sure that birds have a home and he's like, Yo, God loves you way more than the flowers of the field, and yet he clothes the flowers of the field. You're worth way more than some birds or some flowers in a field. Look, God knows what you need. Seek first the kingdom, and everything else will be added to you. Singles, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. I promise you God is a good God. And he knows your aches and pains, He knows your longings, and he knows what you need. And if you will seek him, I promise you, you will get abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine. God is good on his word, even in hard times, even when you can't understand it, even when you don't see the finish line. I promise you he's good. The last question, who should you be pursuing? I'm going to make this really, really easy. Who should you be pursuing if you're hoping... To not have the gift of singleness forever. A believer in Jesus who genuinely loves Jesus. Full stop, period, end of sentence. Now, I want you to know you're not looking for a spouse to stay young with, okay? You're looking for a partner to grow old with. You're not looking for a spouse to stay young with. You're looking for a partner to grow old with. You will not stay young forever. Nobody stays young forever. Things start to sag. Things start to get wrinkly. Some things get bigger and some things get smaller. And it's almost never moving in the direction that you hope. That's just some real talk. I'm just saying, okay? 
So stop looking for somebody to be married to in your youth. Start looking for somebody that you want to be married to in your old age. That's what God is saying to look for, somebody who loves Jesus. Don't buy into the romantic, individualistic lies of the world that we live in. If the person you're pursuing doesn't love Jesus more than they love you, they will love something else more than they love you. If you're in love with Jesus, someone else who looks a lot like him will be easy to fall in love with as well. Single people, I want you to know that you are needed and necessary in our family. We need you. We want this to be a place of refuge, a place that when things are hard and things are not the way you anticipated or expected, when things go in a way that you didn't choose, that you couldn't control, that this still is a place where you can come and feel loved and cared for, and that you know there are people here that are going to call out of you the best and say to you, you have a gifting and a calling. Single people, we need your leadership. We need your perspective. We need your passion for justice. We need your passion for service and the time and flexibility that you have to offer to the kingdom. So please lead us that are married well with an undivided focus on Jesus. Running hard after him. Seek first the kingdom because God knows everything that you need and he is good for it. Father God, we will trust you. And God, I know that like, it's easy to sit up and talk about, especially as a, as a married person. And I know that there are folks that are sitting out here that probably have just real ache. Because this thing that they desire, and they can't even sometimes vocalize why they desire it, but they do. It doesn't go away just with one teaching. And God, I understand that. But God, I also know that you meet us in those places. And I pray that all of us today would walk out with a higher value of singleness. God, we live in a culture that makes it really, really hard to be faithful to you and single as well. So I pray for our single folks that are struggling with the hookup culture in our world, that people are saying that it it doesn't really matter, and that romance is the highest ideal and individualism and the search for happiness is everything that we ought to be going after. Jesus, you give us a new vision. You give us a new vision that says that making disciples is that what you've called us to and is is a beautiful and high value. So God, would you you continue to, to mold us and transform us and let us see and experience your love and care for us. God, we want to do relationships right. You know that it's hard, but you meet us. You meet us with a bucket full of grace and a hug and a promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us and that what you have begun, you will finish. And we hold tight to those promises Thank you for your death and your resurrection on our behalf. It's in your beautiful and powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.